Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 202. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionTanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fuleman. Hi, everybody. Any uh, big news, Fuleman? I don't think anything's happened? happened. Can you think of anything that might have taken place? Nothing comes to mind. No, it's been pretty uneventful. <laughs> we have done this podcast for six long years, and this is the first time we have been able to talk about a series win by the Toronto Maple Leafs. It finally happened. The monkey's off their back. The curse is broken. The whatever other metaphor you want to deal with is gone. Um, and I think we have a bit of a reputation that we have well-earned as maybe not being the most rah-rah-woohoo kind of podcast that you could possibly get. So by all means, listen to those people first if you want. We are pretty psyched. You know, we've been living at the mercy of the just win baby rules that apply for the playoffs. You know, winning is all that matters for a long time. And it is really nice to be on the other side of that for a change. Yeah. Uh, for years and years and years, really for the past four years um, in particular, there's been this undercurrent of the Leafs playoff failures, which has been, they played well enough to win the series. And if a few things had gone their way, maybe they would have. And the other team respected the fact that the Leafs were clearly very good and clearly could have won it. Mm -hmm. And they got a lot of respect in the handshake line (laughs) and a lot of respect from, you know, the teams that would then step over their limp bodies on their way to Stanley Cup finals. (laughs) And over time, I think that idea got less and less uh, palatable Mm -hmm. for Leafs fans. Um, understandably so, because, you know, at, at, at a certain point, this game is about the playoffs and the playoffs are about winning. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's it's the ultimate. It's the ultimate example of they don't ask how they ask how many. Yeah. And, you know. No one would have pitied the Leafs if they outplayed Tampa and lost. So. Even though this was a very tight series, as was last year, um, the fact is, they goddamn did it. And that does resolve something that I think maybe can be easy to look past in the numbers, is I don't blame anyone who was still thinking, maybe there's something fatally wrong with this team. You know, just in the back of your head, you're thinking, is there some kind of crunch time yips? or instinct to choke or whatever it is that is going to doom them pretty much any time the going gets really difficult. I said that um, after the series last year, I think they pretty much showed that's not the case. That said, this year they definitively showed it's not the case with three road overtime wins, including a absolutely spectacular comeback um, from down 4-1, fittingly enough, against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um... Say what you will, and there were ups and downs in this series, and we're going to talk about how the game spiraled out. But I think you can feel pretty good about the fact that this team never said die. Um, And that is encouraging. You know, if you want to believe in this core going forward is what they're going to do this year and what they're going to do in the future. Um, A future which they are now more likely to have, by the way. Right. I mean, it's it's a big series when, you know, for obviously all the obvious reasons Mm -hmm. of... You know, you get to advance one step further in the playoffs, but um, this makes it quite likely, barring some 
you know, horrific collapse in the next round, that Sheldon Keefe is back, that Kyle Dewis is back, it makes it much easier to sell Austin Matthews on signing an extension. Mm-hmm. And maybe even much easier to, to tell him, hey, you know, we want, to, we want you to sign an extension. Man, O'Reilly was sure great in the playoffs. It would be great if we could keep him. <laughs> uh, any, anyway, I don't know what that has to do with your contract, but, you know, keep it in mind, I guess. Yeah, I'm just going to write some numbers on the chalkboard for you to think about. Um, yeah, and um, not most importantly, but very amusingly, there are a lot of really angry people who hate the Leafs who have enjoyed dining out on the fact that the Leafs didn't win around for 19 years, and you can see them seething on the internet, and I have to tell you, it's delightful. I'm really yeah. enjoying it a lot. While we're here, I mean, th- there's a very natural transition from, you, LOL, you guys haven't won a playoff series uh, in 19 years, to, LOL, look at how hard you guys are celebrating for winning a playoff series. That's like only one round of four. Yeah. Um. And I would, likely, I would like to make my feelings on that pretty clear. People who are saying that can eat shit. <laughs> Absolutely. Fuck those people. Uh, yeah, I mean, sports is about, it's about celebrating the journey, right? Mm-hmm. We've talked about this a lot. If, if you are only ever going to be happy when your team wins the ultimate prize, you are probably not going to get a lot of value out of watching sports. You need to enjoy and appreciate the intermediate moments. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say this for, for any team that is, uh, you know, that celebrates an intermediate moment. Like, I, I don't think we were like, oh, look at how uh, plucky or look at how um, pathetic the Sens are when they celebrated the conference finals. Like, no, like, sports are about celebrating stuff, right? Yeah. Because God knows it's really, really hard for your team to win at all. Yeah. Especially in the modern NHL. No kidding. There's a lot of teams. They're very good. There's a salary cap. There's a lot of parity. Um, yeah. You know, we talked in the past about how this edition of the Leafs didn't necessarily give us a lot of those really great moments that stay with you. Um, You know, and growing up, uh, I remember having a few of those with earlier versions of the team, you know, the Sundin ping slap shot, Um, Gary Roberts basically putting the team on his back to beat the Sens when it looked like the Leafs were screwed. Um, This series had those moments. Um, The big comeback from down 4-1, and this John Tavares goal, it went in off a skate, but again, they don't ask how, they ask how many. And for the first time in a long time, the Leafs have been able to see four wins out of seven. So, yeah, uh, this is good. We are going to talk a bit about some things that happened, good, bad, and ugly. Um, And we will try and do that honestly, as is our customary thing, so... We don't want to bum anyone out by making criticisms here. Again, the most important thing is they want. So mm-hmm. bask in that glow. And if you're not ready to hear us go back to our usual on the one hand, on the other hand analysis, uh, feel free to pause here for a day or two. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll start talking about some of the stuff that took place in this series, which we must emphasize the Leafs did win. Yes. Um, I think a, a good place to start is on a couple things we were wrong about. Mm. Um, coming into the series. I think our preview largely holds up. Um, we both picked Leafs in seven. They did us one better. Mm-hmm. But a couple of things we were really nervous about was the Riley-Shen pairing, which, you know, did not have incredible results in the regular season. We had seen similar versions of Riley with kind of a plodding defender not do that great last year with Riley and Ilya Lubushkin. Um, 
But Riley Shen this year exceeded all expectations. Um, and it wasn't just Riley. It wasn't just Shen. It was both of them together. They did a phenomenal job. Yeah, I've been really impressed by them and definitely more impressed than I thought I was going to be. I was worried that was going to be a real weakness. Mm-hmm. And I will say, I don't think that that was totally crazy in the sense that we had examples of other, as you said, plotting defensemen like Lyabushkin not working as well with Riley as we would have hoped. Riley does seem to elevate his game in the playoffs. and His goal scoring goes up quite a bit. I haven't like seen any analysis of it to determine whether that is, you know, whether he's being more aggressive and getting more shots away or is if it's, you know, just pucks going in more. But, I mean, perhaps more importantly than the than the goal scoring itself in terms of repeatability, his his shot share and how well the team does when he's on the ice, it, it, he has a much more positive impact on that in the playoffs um, over, you know, a not trivial sample size at this point. Yeah, like he's he's really stepped up. And that is encouraging if you're um, talking about that long-term contract that he has. You think, well, at least maybe we've committed to a guy who can elevate his game a little bit. But it's worked right. better with Chen. And Chen, it has. Um. I would say did a lot to probably vindicate the decision to acquire him. And you can go back and find the recording. We were pretty skeptical of that. Very skeptical. Yeah. And so maybe we got to take one of those uh, pleasant L's on that one, because it's much more fun to be wrong about your team not being good at something. Um, Yes. Yeah. I I will say, um, so Shen and Riley benefited from, I think, a pretty incandescent series from Austin Matthews. They played a lot with him. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, I mean, like, yeah, you play with your teammates. The Leafs, the Leafs have good players. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly going to, like, shit on Riley and Chen for, for synergizing well with, uh, with Austin Matthews. And, you know, this was counterbalanced by, like, tough usage for, for Justin Hall, for Mark Giordano, for TJ Brody and Jake McCabe, right? The, the Riley-Chen pairing was clearly used with an eye to get Morgan Riley into offensive spots to have him play off. The stars on the team and he did that well and Shen played his part very well um it, 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 yeah I think I think I think that's important to note because we were definitely very concerned about Shen's difficulty in puck handling and puck skills against an aggressive Tampa forecheck and the aggressive Tampa forecheck absolutely did cut off a lot of the Leafs um you know transitions and especially transitions from their own zone um it didn't seem Shen was particularly more adversely affected in that regard than the rest of the Leafs team. And, you know, from that perspective, it's a win. Mm-hmm. Because the, other, the things that he does well, like, he, Shen does genuinely execute in his defensive zone well. And in a series where the Leafs um, played in their defensive zone more than we're accustomed to seeing them do, uh, you know, that defensive execution was, was very welcome. And I think in general, actually, the, one of the stories of this of the series is how strong the defensive execution was basically on both teams' parts and how difficult it was for either team to really break the opposing team structure. Yeah, absolutely. This was kind of a rock fight of a series, like very tough defensively. Um, the Leafs indulged in what I would call a bend, not break sort of defense system. I mean, Sheldon Keefe called it that actually um, in those phrases. And you know, in its worst form, that brings back bad memories of Randy Carlisle hockey. Um, but there seemed to be a lot of collapsing towards the front of the net. The Leafs would concede the outside of their zone for long periods, and Tampa would run it around. We're used to seeing the Leafs do that to other teams. 
Um, mm-hmm. Tampa extensively did it to us, and the Leafs seemed to sort of endure it. Um, Tampa was also, as we've mentioned, really aggressive on the forecheck, and we knew they would be. Um, but they were good at cutting off the best passing option, the kind of pass that the Leafs would want to make. And the Leafs were often content to settle for like a conservative pass back behind the net to the other defenseman um, to kind of keep possession and regroup, but not to advance very quickly. Mm-hmm. And so it, it led to like a really grinding game where the Leafs breaking into the Tampa Bay zone or Tampa Bay breaking into the high danger areas of the offensive zone both seemed like pretty special events in this series to me. Right. And I think sort of remarkably, we it didn't feel like we saw that much in the way of high-end rush chances either. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've talked at length about how the Leafs, you know, wh- when they play the game that we t- most typically associate with the Leafs, that third man high in the offensive zone, lots of rotation, uh, d- you know, Austin Matthews playing point, Justin Hall in front of the net, uh, you know, it has a lot of advantages in the offensive zone, but it poses risks the other way. The Leafs seem to play much more conservatively mm-hmm. uh, in the offensive zone this this series, and maybe that hurt them offensively in their ability to break down Tampa's structure, but it also almost certainly helped them in terms of preventing you know, really high-end chances for Tampa's top-end players going the other way uh, off the rush. You know, there, there were a few rush chances, but often they were kind of idiosyncratic or, or on special teams and thinking of the, the Hagel breakaway, uh, on, which was on a Leafs power play. Yeah, I, I think that that's very valid. And maybe the Leafs said, we're getting burned by this and we need to reconstitute. Um, it, it felt like last year's playoff series was had both teams producing more offense, uh, or at least more, more shot quality. Uh, this series ended up being high scoring because neither goalie in aggregate performed particularly well. Um, it, we have to say that Samsonov outperformed Vasilevsky, though, on the whole. And again, that's something that the Leafs really could almost never say about their goaltender versus the other team's goaltender in a playoff series. And, you know, it's sometimes discomforting to win because of your goaltender, but, you know, the goaltender's on the payroll, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I said going into the series, look, if you can guarantee me that Samsonov and Vasilevsky are about a wash, I pick the Leafs. And Samsonov exceeded that standard. Um, and without that, we, you know, maybe don't win. Yeah, probably not. And, you know, that's, that's how it is. Um, I think, uh, again, Kyle Dubas is finally going to get some credit for a lot of what he's done after a few years where he was kind of treated dubiously because he couldn't get over the hump. Um but the platoon goalie argument, you can say that he was proved valid there because he got competitive playoff goaltending for not that much money. And he had two options in the platoon, which meant only one of them had to work out. Um, now, I don't know if it was realistic to expect Samsonov to be better than Andre friggin Vasilevsky, but still, you can say that that bore out as a strategy, you know, not overspending on goaltending, taking intelligent bets. Yeah. Um, I think another thing worth noting, it's kind of a macro uh, item. And this was discussed a fair bit during the middle of the series, especially when Toronto went up 3-1. Uh, Toronto seemed to be much more willing to shoot from low-danger areas, or what we typically define as low-danger areas, than they did in the regular season. Toronto is not really a point-shot-heavy team in the regular season, 
Um, here, whether it was by design, as you know, insinuated by by Derek Lalonde, a former uh, Tampa Bay coach, uh, who who I de- who noted that Vasilevsky has been reported to have struggles in tracking point shots, and that was something that Tampa really tried to, you know, adjust their defensive schemes to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it was just due to the fact that the Leafs felt that it's going to be hard to break Tampa Bay's structure, right, and had difficulty doing so, and thought this might be a good alternative, uh, or some combination of. Of those things, the Leafs spent much more uh, of their offensive zone time taking shots from far out, and I mean it, it worked and didn't work. Like the Leafs' offense was not sterling in this uh, series in terms of a chance creation point of view, and I would say that you know even expected goals could very easily undervalue those types of shots because it cannot see how good the traffic was in front, and if you have like just consistently tons and tons of traffic. Mm-hmm. Those can be pretty valuable chances. But, you know, I, I, I also think that they generally do a, a decent job at describing it. And even just watching the game, it didn't feel like the Leafs' offense was particularly overwhelming. Um, it felt more like they were good enough and took advantage of their good shooters. And Vasilevsky had an uncharacteristically poor series for him. Yeah, uh, and that was a factor um, as much as anything. You know, it's a game of inches. And again, like... I think the Leafs were probably the better team last year in a very close series, and it didn't quite go for them. And this year, again, tight series. Um, I should add, yeah, if you have a bit of a long memory, and that can be tough to do in the playoffs, um, you might think, hey, you guys are talking about this very tight defensive series when each team gave up seven goals once in the first two games. So it started out quite high scoring and also quite penalty heavy. Um as it went on, as we've known it to, to happen in the past, things kind of tightened up. Both teams played, I would say, pretty conservatively. The refs became more reluctant to call things. There was uh, a high stick on Brandon Hagel towards the end of the, the third period last night that Tampa Bay will be outraged about. Um, I did look around my heart for sympathy for them. I didn't find any. Mm. But... Um, you know, I did what I could. My my honest assessment is Tampa Bay has been playing the refs for a long time, and them not getting a call is very akin to what happened to Michael Bunting. You know? Don't make fools of them too often, and maybe you'll get the call more. But. Yeah, well, I, I mean, look, I don't, I don't want to relitigate, like, the pick play of last year, which was a horseshit penalty, basically. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm just, bullshit, and man. I hope that means something saying, coming from me, because I spend every other podcast telling Leaf fans to stop bitching about refs. Yeah. Um, this is also worth noting, like, while, while I'm going to be on brand and say something like that again, Leaf fans, the league is not rigged against us. No. Refs might suck and miss calls. They, I think they miss them mostly uniformly. Mm-hmm. I don't think they have a particular anti-Toronto bias. I don't think Batman is radioing down with a walkie-talkie. <laughs> Uh, to direct the refs. If he did, Arizona would have won a lot more than they have. <laughs> so, yeah, like it, I mean, I think that was inarguably a missed call. The Leafs caught a break. Yeah. Um, cry about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, I mean, this is what we were talking... Like, for, for so long, we, we've... Take, we've, you know, a lot of reasonable Leafs fans have tried to point out, like, hey, like, these things flip on tiny margins. It's a knife's edge every year. Mm-hmm. and people were like, 
I don't care, win a series. And I think it's only fair that when the Leafs win a series that we can acknowledge the, the, the good luck that went into it, but we don't have to apologize for it. Yeah, absolutely not. And, you know, Game 6 was refereed the way we would expect. Um, there were two power plays to Toronto, which were balanced out by two power plays for Tampa. And then as the game went on, the whistles got put away. And yep. you can certainly object to that in terms of game management. You can say that's not what I'd like to see. But that is bog-standard NHL refereeing. Tampa has exploited that for a very long time, very successfully. Um, I, do, like, I don't think that they're like on a par with um, the old devils who actively murder you or anything like that. But they're like a chippy, dirty team. And it works for them. And so this is kind of how it panned out. I do not uh, feel very bad about it at all. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and also, I do want to note, just on the Luke Shen thing, before we move on, um, if you believe that it was important that the Leafs not back down physically, you know, both in the sense of not losing body position too often, and in the sense of psychologically, you feel better when you stand up to the other guy, Shen threw a ton of hits. Mm-hmm. He certainly did. He led the, uh, the Leafs defense group in hits in the series. Um, the team leader for Toronto was Nolachari, who was a wrecking ball in the forecheck, and good for him. And, yeah, you can also note that if you were concerned that the Leafs were perhaps prone to getting pushed around, I don't think that happened at all. No, I mean, between Shen, McCabe, Achari, and, like, the Leafs are not... I, I don't think it's really even remotely accurate to describe the Leafs as, like, a soft or not physical team now. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and, and, again, like, this... It, this would not get seen as a particularly defensive series mm. because, you know, both the teams traded seven goal games uh, for the winning for the winning team in, in game one. And, you know, other games ended 5-4, right? Like, it, it wasn't super low scoring, but it was defensive in that both teams really... Like, the defenses won against the offenses, I would say, unless you really, really highly value, like, the point shots that Toronto got that got through. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, but even so, I think, like, 5v5 goals over the course of the six games were, like, 15 to 14 in favor of Tampa Bay. That's less than, you know, that's, like, two and a half-ish a game or or so. That's, like, for uh, for each team. That's not not a ton. Yeah. Um, I think it was grinding. And it was notable. Tampa, as well, scored on point shots with their best players on the ice 5v5. Yeah. Um, You know, that was just how a lot of the offense was materializing for both teams, which suggests a closely contested, congested, park-the-bus kind of defensive game. Yeah, and, like, I, neither neither goalie, I think, really performed phenomenally. Like, there, there were some really stinky goals from both. Yeah. Um, the the 2-1 goal for Tampa in Game 5, where, where Justin Hall got turned inside out, and that, that probably shut the door on Justin Hall, you know, coming back in, or, sorry, st- playing in Game 6. But that was a terrible goal from Samsonov. <laughs> Yeah, that was rough. horrible. Yeah, and to be clear, like we're not bagging on him in general. We've been very no. laudatory, and he was great in Game Six. But yeah, sure, he had, you know, it was an up and down series, mm-hmm. um, which is fine because we won. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that it's worth uh, looking at. You know, if you're maybe more statistically minded, you might look at the XG in this series, and Tampa had a slight edge in that five v five, and you might say how lucky were the Leafs or how much of this was goaltending and I think look it was very close you don't need a huge amount of imagination to see how this series could have gone the other way 
you don't need a ton to see how the last few could have gone the other way either but sure. mm-hmm. um but something i found interesting was that uh, jake mccabe and tj brody who were the defensive pairing and they played a lot of time against point and kucherov um they got slaughtered in ratios you know we normally talk about xg's you know you had like a 50 percent whatever well they were lingering around 42 in mccabe's case um for the series it was pretty rough at the same time they turned the minutes when they were on against Tampa's top line to really low event. Like they, in the regular season, Point and Kucherov had expected goals per 60 at about 3.46 and 3.42. So like that's about the rate at which they are producing um, those high quality chances. Those numbers were down to 1.94 and 2 in this series. So, you know, not to throw too many numbers around here, but I'm saying that's a really steep drop in terms of what they're generating. And the goals that went in when they were on the ice against McCabe and Brody were long shots from Sergachev and uh, Darren Radish, um, even though they were set up by Kucherov. And I think the Leafs could kind of look at that and live with it and say, look, yes, we're not generating more than... Uh, you know, Kucherov in point. But at the same time, when we're on against them, they aren't doing as much. And if we make it back with our other star players, and Matthews and Marner had great series in terms of production, um, then we'll win this. And they did. So you can argue that it worked, even though those uh, players, even though that defense pairing wound up kind of underwater. Yeah, and I guess it, it is also worth noting that, like, and we're guilty of this at times, you know, express, discussing these in terms of ratios, like the shots and chances and whatnot, does us a disservice because, like, differentials are also very important, mm-hmm. right? If it's super, super low event, right, they, you know, you just need one thing to swing in your favor and, and, and you come out ahead mm-hmm. in some ways, right? There's, there's, less, there's less time for, for things to even out. It's in some ways kind of even more... Um, prone to more prone to variance because you end up with you know low scoring games and there, there's not lo- not a lot of time for for weird things to even themselves out and not a lot of events over which you know the the residuals can even out and average to zero mm-hmm. right so like the Leafs did ha- have the the worst of the chances as far as I could tell at five on five um, but as we said was co- we've covered kind of extensively neither team was really dominating offensively. Um, at least in terms of how, how they were able to generate chances. The the chances that occurred uh, went in with more frequency than we would have expected. But, you know, it, it was uh, it was it was a really, really tenuous series. Yeah. Um, one other thing I wanted to note, by the way, about that kind of heavy defensive structure clogging the lane and everything, and McCabe and Brody are a great example of it. The Leafs are currently the team leader in the playoffs in block shots, both in raw total and in rate. Um, they blocked a lot of them. And it was clearly a big part of their strategy. Now, there's a saying about block shots, which is that it's like killing rats. It's good to do in its own right for the sake of your house not having a rat infestation. But if you're doing it all the time, it suggests you have bigger problems. Um, At the same time, you know, I could go either way on that one. I was, you know, like I didn't love how much Tampa owned the offensive zone for sure. You know, there Mm -hmm. was a lot of time for them as the series went on. At the same time, they weren't generating as much as that made it look like. Like, you know, uh, a time on possession stat as the series went on, and especially 
um, in Game Six would favor Tampa probably. I think more than than was actually reflected in the quality of what they were generating. Now, at a certain point, um, if you give up too much time in the offensive zone, it goes against you. Like you lose a double deflection or something like that. And there were a couple of deflections that, you know, serendipitously landed in Samsonov's chest. And if one of those goes the other way, different game. But I, I do think that the Leafs won this one in a way that was maybe uncharacteristic of what we've come to expect of them. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, okay, we've mentioned some things we were wrong about. Oh, um, sorry, one, one more thing we were wrong about. Yeah. Uh, let's get there. Matthew Nyes. Yeah, so we were, we were cautious about Matthew Nyes. You know, we said, like, mm-hmm. look, the expectations should be that he's, like, a 13th forward type. Anything else is gravy. Well, this is gravy. He's better than 13th forward. He looks like he's already, like, a meaningful NHL player. Mm-hmm. Like, someone you have to pay attention to when he's on the ice because he's, he's got some capacities. Not perfect and not all the way there yet, but very encouraging. And I don't think he's coming out of the lineup anytime soon. No, no, I I, I would agree with that. Um, yeah, I I think Nyes. I sort of felt this after seeing the first three regular season games, and after watching like kind of his last couple games in in Minnesota. When you watch him, you can see why scouts liked him much more than stat than his stat line indicated they should. Mm. Right, his prospect comparables in terms of scoring have not been particularly outstanding. Mm-hmm. Right, um, and, and usually players who become really good contributors at the NHL level just outclass their opponents uh, at at lower levels in terms of just domination of uh, of the puck, of the score sheet, all that stuff. Right, um, and even guys who we don't see as like hi- super highly skilled players in the NHL did that, um, and that's why you know for very good reason people in, in the public scouting sphere really emphasize scoring and kind of obvious levels of offense because that's what the best players tend to do. There are players, however, who succeed who do not do that to the same degree. Um, Zach Hyman's AHL numbers were good but not spectacular, mm. right, and. He's blossomed even before, like, he obviously improved a lot through his NHL career to the point where he's, I think, an above-point-per-game player now. Um, but, like, even when he immediately got to the NHL, we could see, oh, like, this guy has some stuff about him. Like, he didn't score very much, but, like, he, I can see why scouts really like him. He does a lot of things well. And um, Matthew Nyes has some of that, that, those same traits, right? His board play is phenomenal. Uh, he made a really, really excellent and savvy play to, to continue the puck on the cycle uh, and give it to John Tavares in advance of Tavares's series winning goal yesterday. And he isn't the he isn't you know absurdly skilled the way Nylander, Matthews, or, or Marner are, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he doesn't have phenomenal passing or vision. He makes simple plays, but he he executes. And there there's a lot to like there. I think. Yeah, I think he, he's clearly an NHLer right now. Uh, he's he's a player, and I, I I think he's sort of penciled into one of the top six left wing spots, kind of the rest of the way, unless things start looking real bad. Yeah, he's he's certainly taking the inside track on that, and that in and of itself is impressive because coaches, um, you, you know, sometimes we criticize them in their decision making, but they tend to be pretty astute, but they tend to be 
conservative. They err on the side of veterans who they trust not to make mistakes. Um, Matthew Nice came in and got Sheldon Keefe to play him as of game two and never looked back. And, and Nice did make some mistakes. And in particular, there, there were some inopportune plays kind of at his own blue line that ended up with the Leafs having the puck still in their defensive zone mm-hmm. uh, afterwards. And I think uh, in... Uh, a couple times in the back of their own net. Those happen, and I think those are going to continue to happen. I, I don't think he's going to eradicate those to zero um, because I think he is the type of player who trusts himself to make plays in tight spaces, mm-hmm. and that's part of what makes him good. Like the play he made to Tavares, as I mentioned, was a really good play in a tight space. Um, I think, and I hope he continues to still feel empowered to make those decisions, even if some percentage of them are, are not going to work because I think he's good enough at them that... that the risk reward is worth it for him. Yeah, um, absolutely. So uh, definitely encouraged in, in that regard. Um, yeah, it felt telling for game six, you know, uh, Zach Aston Reese and Sam Lafferty were both shuffled out of the lineup because Michael Bunting was coming back and the Leafs went to 11-7. Um, and yeah, there was not even seemingly a question about Matthew Nyes leaving the lineup by that point, which yeah. says a lot about how his stock has risen. Also worth saying, like, Bunting should have played Game 5. Yeah, there, there's, game five. People have gotten too low on Michael Bunting. Yeah. And I get it, and I, I understood it for sure, and I had some sympathy for the idea, like, okay, but it's going to be kind of nasty. Can you trust him not to put you on the penalty kill for four minutes? Um, because that's pretty deadly against the Tampa Bay Lightning. You know, that, by the way, you said this actually in advance of last year, but it's, it strikes me every single time we play them what a very difficult power play it is to answer. There's mm-hmm. just not that much you can do when that power play gets set up. Yeah. Um, yeah. While we're here, we should uh, also mention, you know, a couple of the <laughs> players on that power play. Um, well, actually, or actually, one of the guys who is not on their first unit power play, but just, like, dominated the series and was maybe, maybe the best player, or one of them, Victor Hedman. Victor Hedman, yeah. I mean, look... And it's not like we were in any doubt. We said, look, Victor Hedman is the best defenseman of his generation. Well, he looked like it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he missed game two. And not coincidentally, the Leafs kind of pants the lightning, um, which may bode as to what's going to happen when Victor Hedman, you know, truly begins to decline. We thought we saw it in the regular season, not so much in the playoffs. He looked good. Yeah. I, I, I think he has declined in the sense that, like, you know, prime Victor Hedman would do this in the regular season and the playoffs, and now he maybe just doesn't have the legs to do it in both, mm-hmm. right? Um, not not to like dance on Tampa's grave at all, and obviously like we have a ton of respect for Tampa as a team. I I don't think Mikhail Sergachev is that guy. No, Mikhail Sergachev is like a neat guy to have um, anchoring your second pairing, and that can work. But he's like, and again, Victor Hedman sets a very high bar, but Sergachev is not that. Comparable. Right. And I think it was noticeable that Tampa missed Ryan McDonough. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, of, all their, of all the losses compared to last season, I think he, he was the biggest, right? Um, again, to the extent that you believe that the Leafs kind of point shot centric strategy uh, produced chances that were better than they appeared on like public XG models. It's because of screening and pressure in front of Vasilevsky. McDonough is a phenomenal uh, preventer of those sorts of things. Yeah. And he wasn't there, and the Leafs, you know, to some extent, probably took took advantage of that. Um, so yeah, it was. It it really says a lot about how 
high a level Tampa Bay ascended to that this is clearly Tampa Bay on the way down clear like missing guys who we know are good guys who are still high level contributors for playoff or bubble teams and they're matching the least blow for blow yeah but like very very good I will say you know in the regular season this didn't look like a real team and we talked about like how much can they flick the switch I am certainly convinced that Tampa Bay still has however much playoff magic a team can have Maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but like, well, the, the alternative is the Leafs are worse than we think they are. And so I don't let, like let that. So yeah, so let, let, let's <laughs> give Tampa credit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like I, I do, you know, genuinely believe there's there's only so much you can do, and you know, Stamkos, for example, was a very difficult threat to contain offensively, and I'm not sure too many teams. Could have done that much better. I'm not saying they couldn't have improved on Justin Hall's performance. He had a tough series. Um, it was interesting seeing a lot of people who normally know better than to believe in plus minus kind of turn on him. But uh, yeah, like certainly Tampa has proven again and again what a core it has. And so yeah, they'll still be lingering around next year. Um, this is like this is not super material or anything. But there are a lot of teams in the Atlantic that are, like, thinking next season, like, okay, we're going to jump up and everything. And I'm like, there are a lot of teams in your way. <laughs> Tampa Bay is not going to be a non-playoff team next season, I don't think. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so moving on. Uh, Sam Lafferty. Yes, let's start taking some victory laps. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's time. Uh, Sam Lafferty is the em- embodiment of what would you say you do here? <laughs> he's he's a good skater. Yeah, he he is fast, and I sort of get the idea that the Leafs sort of uh, uh, ended up with a fourth line that they were sort of comfortable with in the latter part of the regular season in Camp Aston Reese Lafferty. That fourth line got absolutely trucked in the games that they played. Mm-hmm. Um, the the depth players of Toronto, and I, actually I include the Ryan O'Reilly line, uh, who had their moments but were not consistently very strong. Um, the depth of Toronto really got destroyed by Tampa's depth in this yeah. series. Um, Sam Laverty did not really acquit himself well. And I think this also shows the limitations of David Kampf. Mm-hmm. Um, Kampf has, uh, is a guy who I think clearly needs speed on his, on his wing. He does not have the, the wheels or the puck skills or, or yeah, the anticipation to transition the puck. Uh, without someone who can really do that for him. Whether that was Ilya Mikheyev or Pierre Engvall, that's basically where he's seen, you know, the best results in, in, in his Leafs tenure and really in his NHL tenure. Mm-hmm. I see the idea of Lafferty being that guy. Lafferty is very fast. But I can't say I've ever seen him really be a puck-carrying threat. Yeah. There are lots of guys who have speed and who don't do a whole lot with it. And that's just kind of how it goes it's hard to carry and transport the puck effectively at the nhl level even if you are fast um there are a lot of people in leafland who are very determined that pierre engvall can't have had any value and like i don't want to over focus on that it's not the most important thing but it's weird to me he was a decent player mm-hmm. and like i think he would have helped i think he's better than lafferty that's for sure now you say like look that's one little thing not the most important thing by any means, but sure. But yeah, like I think it's worth noting that that probably has been a problem for Kampf, and Lafferty isn't able to replace him. Right. So, 
It is what it is. And I wonder if going forward we just stick with this 11-7 setup. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the instinct is always going to be do what worked again. So, like, for game one against either Boston or Florida, it wouldn't surprise me. Now, okay, I know I'm probably too low on Eric Gustafson, mm-hmm. but he is my personal what-would-you-say-you-do here. <laughs> like, and I know what he would say he does is he's the second power play quarterback. I don't think we need that, and so I question his utility. I can't say I noticed him at all at even strength yesterday. Yeah, he, um, was, he was I, on for the goal against. Yeah. But he was he was chasing a man to the boards, and that led to an opening for Stamkos. But you could say that it was more on Nylander uh, yeah. to, to drop back to the right defense and cover in his stead, or for Gio to read the play. But, I mean, you can argue it. I thought Nylander had a pretty putrid series, to be honest. He produced. We yeah, And, like, anyone who's listened to us over the... 200 plus episodes of this podcast knows we love William Nylander. It wasn't mm-hmm. his best work, I didn't think. No. And I, I mean, I think it was a little bit similar to, uh, to, to O'Reilly in some sense, in that, like, well, I mean, O'Reilly, I felt, was like stronger on a shift to shift basis, even if the numbers don't really reflect it. Mm-hmm. Nylander ha- produced moments. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's one of the benefits of paying someone like William Nylander is that even when he doesn't have when he doesn't have it, he is still liable to do something, mm-hmm. right? And, and he, he did enough, but, like, I, yeah, we'll need him to be better more consistently uh, through, through, the next, through the next round. Really, I think this was the least best forwards were, were Matthews and Marner by a colossal distance, in my opinion. Yeah, this was a statement series for them, uh, if you want to call it that. You know, Matthews looked, again, like a top-five player in the world. Marner produced... 11 points in six games, and it almost seemed like, yeah, of course. But, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, he did the cla- <laughs> he, did, he did the classic Mitch Marner thing of, like, yeah, Marner, Marner's been all right. He had three points? What? Yeah. Where, did, where, did, where did those come from? Yeah. And, you know, but, like, yeah, he was, um, he was very impressive to me. You know, lots of intelligent little plays that he can make. When the Leafs did break through Tampa's, very stifling forecheck in defense and their ability to uh, clog up the neutral zone. Um, you would see Marner sometimes making a play that elevated um, the leaps beyond what you would expect from an ordinary NHL player. And so, yeah, like th- there's a lot to be proud of there. Um, you know, Tavares was up and down. I thought w- ending the series on the winning goal is very nice. and helpful. It's a pretty hot, pretty like high up. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, again, was it a perfect series? Not in every respect, but there's there's a lot that you can talk yourself into. And again, the result was obviously what we've been praying for for so goddamn long. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and, you know, now we uh, we did announce on Twitter we are going to retire this podcast um, post-playoffs. But now we are going to have to do at least a couple more episodes of it. So we will preview the next series and talk about it after. Yeah. Um, so do you feel more confident in this Leafs team after this, after this series win? Uh, a little bit. A little bit. And it's... <laughs> How about this? Intellectually, no. Emotionally, yes. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I know, I know what you mean. It, it, there is something reassuring of just seeing, seeing the thing that you thought could happen happen. Because, like, if they 
lost again and kind of choked it away in whatever circumstances after a 3-1 lead. I would say, okay, the hypothesis Leafs have something fatally wrong with them where they choke in the clutch is not disproven. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't believe it, it wouldn't have been falsified. And so this went some way to saying like, look, you know, maybe they're not perfect, but they don't have something so wrong with them that they can't get those bounces, that they can't come back in those situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though I was saying for like a year now, I don't think there's anything there. It feels a lot better knowing for sure that they can win a series. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think kind of the same. I, I, the, the thing I'm sort of hopeful for mm-hmm. is that the, the team, I think, played a very different style to what we had seen them do in the regular season. Mm-hmm. And it's not entirely clear to me if that style was necessarily the best choice. It was something that they thought would work. And I, I can see the logic in it uh, in a lot of ways. Um, I, I, I think that going forward, I, I, I want, I, I hope that this team feels now confident and assured enough to play the style that they are best at. Mm. Right. And I know it's not that simple. Tampa had a lot to do with the Leafs, um, with, with the poor parts of the Leafs play in, in this series, right? Um, and you have to give them credit for that. But I, I really do think that this is an incredibly strong team that every team that goes up against will fear in some respect, mm-hmm. right? And we saw it in spurts. I'd, I'd like for the Leafs, now that they have the monkey off their back, to like, I, I hope this empowers them to believe in what they have. Yeah. And play play the way that we know they can play. Yeah, and you know that's we'll have time to talk about it because we are going to try and get a preview up before the next series. You might have to bear with us for a couple of days, but uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll pull that together. But whether it's Boston or Florida, maybe you say Boston is a favorite over them based on a very strong regular season. But I don't think the Leafs are by any means out of contention. No, there, there isn't a, a single team in the league that I think the Leafs are drawing dead against. Boston's a very, very good team. Mm-hmm. Florida has shown that they're mortal, mm-hmm. right? Uh, whether or not they win. So, yeah, I, I think there will be challenges. The Leafs are by, by no means uh, a lock to get through now that they've won one round, mm-hmm. right? No, no one's silly enough to think that. But, like, this is, this is a good team, and I think they can hopefully make some noise uh, the rest of the way. Yeah. Here, one sort of fun little truism, but it's sort of interesting to note. The only two teams to beat Tampa Bay in a playoff series the last four years are the Leafs and the Colorado Avalanche. Mm-hmm. Not bad. Not bad at all. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I won't lie to you people out there. I feared that this was going to be the last episode of the podcast at various points in the past week, but it turns out it's not quite. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very happy to, to stick with you guys as, uh, as long as the Leafs are alive here. Yeah. Um, so, thank you all for, for listening. You can catch all of mine and Fuleman's work at penchantpenpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and AT Fuleman. Uh, we'll see you in a couple of days to preview the Leafs' second round playoff series.